Good morning, church. That line gets me every time. I love that song. The things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There is no one on earth, no other church family in the world that I would have rather done 2020 with than you, than all of you. I don't want to go through 2020 again, don't get me wrong, but... The fact that I got to spend the last year with you in one sense or another has been a tremendous blessing. So thank you for being, as always, thank you for being the church family that you are, those that are gathered here in this room and so many more that are gathered with us virtually online. Thank you for loving the way that you love, for being who you are, for having the faith that you have. Our our theme for 2020 was next step by faith. And we didn't know, did we, going into 2020, the steps that we would have to take. But I hope that you were able to take some next steps in your individual personal lives, in your discipleship. I hope that you were able to take some next steps. There there were so many people this year that chose to put Jesus on in baptism, that chose to take that first step of discipleship. And we rejoice with our new brothers and sisters who decided to take that step. And I hope that each one of us found ways to pray more, to study more, to give more, to encourage more, to be more aware of the things that need our attention and the people who need our love and our mercy. And I I hope that we've taken some of those next steps individually. And I know that congregationally it's been difficult to take collective next steps together, but we have. We've continued to take next steps together, I think, don't you? We've studied together so many books of the Bible, so many passages of scripture that we've studied together and encouraged one another to take next steps. We have had some very difficult and challenging conversations together and taken next steps, talking about different issues and topics taking those next steps. We've taken next steps as far as our generosity goes, our hearts and hands group that makes little items for young people and children all over the world. They had a goal this year of making 2020, 2020 items, and they actually exceeded that goal by a 1,000 and made 3,020 items for people in need. And our Brighter Together, next week our shepherds are going to give an update about Brighter Together and how generous this congregation has been. We've taken so many next steps together, but it's been a hard year. It's been a hard year physically and emotionally and spiritually. I think it's okay to admit that, to acknowledge how difficult that it's been. And that's why for this next year, for 2021, the theme is Fix Your Eyes on Jesus, because that's my encouragement for us this year, is to fix your eyes on Jesus. I think some of the important words that we're going to have to remember this year are words like endurance, perseverance, patience, wait for the Lord. Remember, this is what my mama always told me when I got out of the car to go to school, remember who you are, remember whose you are. Remember who you are, because there are going to be a million, there are going to be countless influences in your life 
Not just when you're a kid going to school, but every single one of us. There are going to be countless influences that try to derail us and distract us. And if we listen to them, we will forget who we are and what we're supposed to be about and what we're supposed to be doing. And so this year, as every year, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't let anything, don't let anyone derail you, derail us from being who we're supposed to be and doing what we're supposed to be doing. I have no idea what 2021 has in store for us. It's an adventure, right? I mean, we're going into something we don't know. We don't know. And 2020 taught us, you don't know what the future holds. You may think you do. You may have all kinds of plans and your plans are good, but you better say Lord willing because you don't know. None of us do. We don't know what this year is going to hold. But I know there'll be challenges I know there'll be struggles. I know there'll be influences that if we're not careful, they will derail us. And so we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. I don't think sometimes we acknowledge the power of social pressure. I know we talk, when we say peer pressure, in fact, I thought about asking that question. When I say peer pressure, who do you think about? probably think about teenagers, right? We always warn teenagers about peer pressure. I think somebody ought to warn adults about peer pressure, don't you? Peer pressure is just as much a factor in adulthood as it is in childhood. Social pressure has an incredible influence on us. We have no idea how influenced we are by social pressure, by other people doing it, and then eventually we just start to do it too. I thought about this week about texting. You know, when texting first started, believe it or not, I'm old enough to remember before texting was a thing, and the teenager, I was doing youth ministry, and all the teenagers were texting me. It was back when you had to push the button three times to get one letter, you remember? So annoying. I mean, to type a sentence took forever, you know, and you had to, and you passed the letter, and you'd have to go again. I mean, just incredibly frustrating, and I'd have teenagers that would text me, hey, Wes, where did the devil come from? And I'm like, why are you texting me that question? Call me or come by my office. We'll talk about it. But I cannot text you an answer to that. I thought texting was the strangest thing in the world. But then I realized if I'm going to be part of this group, if I'm going to have an influence on these young people and I'm going to have a relationship with them, I got to learn how to text. And so I had to decide which is more important, which is more valuable, doing things the way I want to do them, which did not include texting, or being a part of the group. And I decided I'd rather be part of the group than hold on to the way I always did things. And chances are almost everybody in this room and everybody watching online, if you're of a certain age, you fell victim to that pressure too, right? You thought it was strange at first, but after a while you had to decide. Am I going to do what everybody else is doing, or am I going to do things the way I've always done them? And, And you had to make that choice. And We all, at one time or another, we kind of give in to that pressure because we all want to belong to a group, don't we? We all want to belong to a group. We all want to be part of what's going on. And you think, well, I don't do that. I don't give in to social pressure. I mean, what kind of house do you live in? What kind of car do you drive? What kind of clothes do you wear? Chances are it's pretty similar to what everybody else drives what everybody else wears, the house that everybody else lives in. Why? Because that's we are social creatures and we all want to belong to a group. We all want to be involved in what everybody else is involved in and we're afraid of being rejected, right? 
If you wore that, nobody would talk to you. If you drove that, people would think you were strange. If you lived in a house like that, people would say, that's kind of weird, right? And we, we fear that rejection. The younger that we are, the more we kind of like try out different groups and, you know, maybe I can fit into this group or maybe I can fit into that group or maybe I'll dress like this and these people will accept me or maybe I'll do this and these people will accept me. And the older we get, the more established we are in different social groups and we've kind of decided this is the way I'm going to dress and this is how I'm going to talk and this is how I'm going to do things and we have our group of people that accept us, which makes it even more risky to do something that might risk relationships. But I want to ask you a question this morning, and I want you to think about this for just a second. Here's the question. Over what would you be willing to risk total social rejection? Just kind of sit with that question for a second, because none of us want to do that, right? None of us want to do that. None of us want to wear something that people think that's weird. Nobody wants to drive something people think that's strange. People don't do that kind of thing. Things that they know, if I do this, I'm not going to fit in. If I do this, I'm not going to be accepted. If I do this, I might be rejected. So what would you be willing to be rejected over? Over what would you be willing to risk total social rejection? Because if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to realize that this is exactly the message that Jesus preached to his potential disciples. He told them, if you're going to follow me, you have to realize that it might mean total social rejection. He told them that if you're going to follow me, you have to count that cost. You have to stop and ask yourself, would I rather have Jesus than I would my children? Would I rather have Jesus than I would my spouse? Would I rather have Jesus than I would my mom? Would I rather have Jesus than I would my dad? Would I rather have Jesus than I would my friends? Would I rather have Jesus than I would my business? Would I rather have Jesus than whatever? This is what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. Because you might be rejected by everybody in your life. Jesus says, Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And this is exactly what the early disciples experienced. They experienced publicly being exposed to reproach and affliction. People thought those followers of Jesus are weird. We don't like them. And they lost relationships with all kinds of people. Both those in authority and those in authority in their own personal lives. In fact... One of the phrases that the Hebrew writer uses that has stuck in my mind for so many years now is that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Just kind of sit with that idea for a second. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. People came in and took their stuff and they considered it a joy that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. This is what it meant to be a disciple. This is what it meant to follow Jesus, was to say, I'm with him, no matter what it costs me, no matter who thinks I'm strange, no matter who thinks I'm weak, no matter who thinks I'm foolish, no matter who thinks I'm a failure, no matter who thinks I'm throwing my my life away, I'm with Jesus, and I'm going to do things his way. And I would rather have Jesus than I would anything else. 
And this is what the early Christians experienced. And at first, you know, I'm sure there was this initial burst of excitement and joy. And they suffered these things, but they were suffering it together. And then some people started saying, yeah, I don't know. I was pretty comfortable before. It was pretty easy before this whole Jesus thing started. I I could get along with everybody else and nobody thought I was weird. Nobody thought I was weak. Nobody thought I was foolish. Everybody knew I was one of the guys, one of the gals. Everybody knew I was one of them. And then this whole Jesus thing started. And I don't know, it's getting pretty hard. And some people started jumping ship. And they started saying, you know what? I'm going to go hang out with my crowd that I hung out with before. I'm done with this whole Jesus thing. They started to forsake the assembling together of themselves. They started to abandon the way of Jesus, and they said, I'm finished. And so the Hebrew writer writes this letter, more like he preaches this sermon, to say, don't give up. Because whatever you're giving up Jesus for is not worth it. Whatever you're abandoning Jesus for is not worth it because Jesus is better. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And he gives all of these examples from the Hebrew scriptures, all of these examples from the Old Testament. You know the the chapter Hebrews 11, right? And he talks about Noah, and he talks about Abraham, and he talks about Jacob, and he talks about Isaac, and he talks about Moses. And he said, look at how they lived their lives. And they were willing to lay aside everything else, to do things God's way. That's what faith is all about. Be like them. And then he says in chapter 12 and verse 1, look at it with me. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, to encourage those that might start to waver. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It can feel incredibly lonely following Jesus. For our community, for our world to think those people are weak, those people are foolish, those people are throwing it all away, those people have an upside down way of thinking. It can be incredibly lonely. And that's exactly why the Hebrew writer says what he says. Look, let's kind of walk through this for just a second. He says, we are surrounded. That's a good word, isn't it? We are surrounded. You feel lonely. You feel like every time I look around, somebody else is jumping ship. Every time I look around, somebody else is going away. Every time I look around, somebody's giving up on this Christianity thing, and I'm kind of considering it too. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? And the Hebrew writer says, you are not alone. You are not by yourself in your faithfulness. You are surrounded. You are surrounded by, I love this word, by a cloud, right? By a cloud, like a ton of people, like this whole crowd, like, like a dust storm, you know, is a bunch of individual particles, but together it's just this big cloud. He says, that's how many people you are surrounded by. You are surrounded by a cloud of what? Of witnesses. Now, when we read witness, we think somebody who sees something, right? But think more like a witness that testifies to something, like in a courtroom, testifies. In fact, this is the word from which we get, in Greek, that we get martyrs, someone who testifies to something. 
We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, not that are witnessing us, but that with their life, they witness, they testify to the faithfulness of God. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Noah and Moses, these men and women too of faith testify to the faithfulness of God. Many of them laid down their life and became, as we use the word, martyrs. Because they said, I'm with God no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes, no matter what I have to give up, no matter what I have to sacrifice, I'm with him and I'm going to do things his way. And so the Hebrew writer says to those who might not endure, whose faith might start to waver, you're not alone. You're surrounded. You are surrounded. I know you can't see it. And that has particular relevance for us doesn't it we are surrounded I know it doesn't feel like it used to feel in here and it doesn't feel like it will feel in here but you're surrounded you're not by yourself you're not alone you are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses both living witnesses and witnesses who've gone on before us you are surrounded by a cloud of people who testify to the faithfulness of God surrounded by a cloud of people who said we're going to do things God's way no matter what people think about us no matter what people do to us no matter what it costs we're going to do things God's way and you are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and then he says in order to run this race you have to lay aside every weight get rid of it whatever it is that's distracting you or holding you back, that's keeping you from running the way that you're supposed to run. When you're running in a race, that's all that can matter right then, right? That's all that can matter. You can't be like, well, you know, I really want to run this race, but I also want to carry this television, you know? And so I'm going to try to do both. Nope, you got to pick one or the other. You can carry the TV or you can run the race, but you can't do both. And he doesn't say here, he'll get to it in a second, lay aside every sin, that's coming. But he says lay aside every weight. And many of us are carrying around weight that's not necessarily a sin. You say, well, this isn't a sin, Wes. This isn't sinful. You can't prove to me this is sinful. Yeah, but is it weighing you down? Is it distracting you? Is it derailing you? And this is why over and over and over and over again throughout Scripture, things like, if you desire to be rich, you will plunge yourself into ruin. Jesus would say, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other, but you can't serve God and money. Period. You can't carry the TV and run the race. Sometimes you got to decide, is this holding me back? Is this distracting me? Is this derailing me? Am I so addicted to comfort and security or acceptance or applause or whatever it is that's holding me back am I so enamored by it and addicted to it that it's keeping me from being who I'm supposed to be and so the Hebrew writer gives all of these examples of people that said you know what it's not worth it Moses I mean he was living as royalty in the Egyptian palace and he said no I'd rather be a slave I'd rather be with the Hebrew people I'm going to give up my palace living so that I can be with them. Abraham, God says, hey, go to a land that I'm going to show you. He said, okay, I'm off. 
Whatever it is that I'm leaving behind, I'm going and doing what God has called me around so much stuff, both in a very literal sense and in a metaphorical sense. Whatever it is that's weighing you down, whatever it is that's distracting you, whatever it is that's derailing you, you've got to lay it aside and say, Jesus is more. Jesus is better. Jesus is worth it. And not just every weight, but every sin as well. We, we, we have to be a people of self-denial, don't we? Isn't this what we read all through scripture? We can't indulge every appetite and still be followers of Jesus. We have to decide whose will will we do, ours or his. Every weight and every sin, lay it aside. And then he says to run with endurance. Run with endurance. That's going to be one of our key words this year. It's been one of our key words last year, whether we knew it or not. Endurance. Endure. Nobody said, at least scripture didn't say, Jesus didn't say, Christianity was going to be comfortable. Christianity was going to be easy. I hear people preaching that kind of thing all the time, but that's not what scripture says, is it? Nobody promised us that this journey of discipleship was going to be easy or comfortable or safe it's going to be hard and difficult and challenging but what we are promised is it's worth it and you're not alone you are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses so run this race with endurance this I love the way he says this race that is set before us the race that is set before us it's like this this track that's laid before us this competition that's laid before us, not competition as in competing with one another, but the challenge that lies ahead. There's a course that's, that's laid ahead, and it's one that other people have run before. You're not the first one. You're not the first one to struggle with this. You're not the first one to be challenged with this. You're not the first one to ask these questions. You have a cloud of witnesses that are running this race with you. And this race is full of challenge. It's full of obstacle. It's full of pit holes, pit, pitfalls. It, there's full of things that are going to make you question. Things that are challenging. And there's even suffering that lies ahead. And he says, run the race with endurance. Laying aside every weight. Laying aside the sin that so closely clings to us. Lay aside it. And then he says... Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So much good stuff there, isn't it? Fixing your eyes or looking to Jesus, the, I love this word, founder. Some translations say the pioneer, the one who went first. Isn't it always easier to do something when somebody else goes first, right? Ladies first. You know, we're maybe, maybe sometimes we ought to be the one to go first because the one who goes first has the hardest job sometimes, don't we? We go first. And then the people that go behind us have an easier time. Well, guess what? None of us have to go first. None of us have to go first with the suffering and the hardship and the pain and the struggle and the challenge. Jesus went first. He's the founder. He's the pioneer. He's the one that goes first. He shows us how it's done. You want to talk about suffering? You want to talk about hardship? You want to talk about sacrifice? You want to talk about giving stuff up? Jesus did it all. He is the founder, the pioneer of our faith. 
Not only the, the founder, but also the perfecter. The one who starts it and the one who finishes it. He says, you can look at Abraham, and you can look at Isaac, and you can look at Jacob, and you can look at Noah, and you can look at David, and you can look at all of these other faith-filled people. But Jesus is the perfecter of faith. He's the finisher. He's the one that brings it to completion. Not only does he go before us, but he finishes it looks like. To lay aside everything else and to say, My food is to do my Father's will. I want to eat it and breathe it and sleep it. I want to do what pleases my Father. Jesus shows us how it's done. He is the founder, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. That doesn't mean he enjoyed going to the cross. It means that he knew there was joy on the other side of the cross. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Not just so that you could be saved. Yes, so that you could be saved. But also as your example. As your pioneer. As your perfecter. He's showing you this is what it looks like to follow me. There's joy on the other side of the suffering. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Sometimes when suffering or hardship or challenge or shame comes upon us. So people don't like us or people think we're weird or people think we're weak or people think we're foolish. We say something's broken, something's wrong. It's not supposed to be this way. Jesus says it was for me and I told you it would be for you. This is what it looks like to follow me. And for the joy set before you, endure your cross. For the joy set before you, endure your suffering. For the joy set before you, endure your shame. He says that he despised the shame. He despised the shame. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? As opposed to what? Caving to the shame. We do that all the time, don't we? We cave to shame, right? We say, well, I'd really like to do this, but I'd be embarrassed to do that. And because I'd be embarrassed to do that, I'm going to do things the way that people want me to do so I don't get embarrassed, right? And we do that all the time. We cave to shame. But Jesus didn't cave to the shame. He despised the shame. He said, you can think what you want about me. You can do what you want to me. You can think I'm weak. You can think I'm foolish. You can think I'm wrong. You can nail me to a cross, but I'm going to do my Father's will. He despised the shame. And the Hebrew writer is calling his audience to do the same. Despise the shame. Don't cave to the shame. People are going to think you're weak. People are going to think you're foolish. People are going to think that you're failures. Endure. Because of the joy set before you, endure the shame. Endure the suffering. Endure the persecution. And then he says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne. Honor. Glorification. It's not all bad. It's good. There's way more good than there is bad. That's the Hebrew writer's whole point. The Hebrew writer's whole point is, yes, it's going to be tough for a while. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, people are going to think you're strange. Yes, you're going to lose relationships. Yes, it's going to hurt. Yes, you're going to feel shame, burden, rejection. 
turmoil. Yeah, you're going to feel all of that, but it's worth it. Because on the other side is joy. On the other side is honor. On the other side is glorification. What Jesus endured, you'll have to endure. But what Jesus was given, you get to share in. That's the good news, isn't it? And so as we think about this idea of peer pressure, I want to have this thought as we begin to close, that the key to resisting peer pressure is not think for yourself. The key to resisting peer pressure is not think for yourself, don't follow the crowd, because you're always going to follow a crowd, right? The key is to follow the right crowd. The key to resisting negative peer pressure isn't think for yourself and don't go along with the crowd. The key is think like Jesus and be part of his crowd. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying. That you are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Jesus being the pioneer. Jesus being the founder. Jesus being the one who kicks it off and who brings it to completion and perfects it. And all of these others... You are part of that crowd. Think like Jesus and be part of his crowd. And here's the thought I want us to end with, is following Jesus means always being in good company. Right? Following Jesus means always being in good company. It might feel lonely sometimes. And it might feel hard sometimes. And there might be people that say, I don't understand you. That's so weak. I don't understand you. That's so foolish. I don't understand why you'd throw so much away. I don't understand why you would do things that way. But you're in good company because they, they treated Jesus that way. You're in good company because they treated the prophets that way. You're in good company because they treated the patriarchs that way. You're in good company because this is exactly what faith looks like. Faith looks like doing the right thing, doing the good thing, doing the loving thing even when it costs you everything. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And when you're following Jesus, you're always in good company. You're always surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, whether you can see them or not. And that's what we want to be this year, don't we? We want to be part of that cloud of witnesses to encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good works, to point each other towards Jesus, to say, fix your eyes on Jesus, to remind each other that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, that we're part of something that Jesus is the author and perfecter of, to remind each other this is who we are and this is what we're supposed to be doing and not to be distracted and not to be weighed down and not to be derailed, but to keep our eyes on Jesus, to remind each other that you're always in good company when you follow him. If there's anybody this morning who's ready to begin following him or needs prayers or needs encouragement, one of our shepherds would love to visit with you at the information desk as together we stand and sing this song.